This episode is sponsored by our friends with the Sharp Mortgage Team. You know the weather's getting warmer, but the triad real estate market is hot. If you've been waiting for more homes to hit the market and better rates, now is the time to reach out to the Sharp Mortgage Team with Highlands Mortgage. It's important to have a conversation with mortgage pros before you shop for a home so that when you find the house you love, you'll be ready to make an offer. Call them today, 336-575-9448, or you can visit their website at sharpmortgageteam.com to talk to a member of their team. Don't wait. The summer home buying season is already underway. So again, 336-575-9448 or sharpmortgageteam.com. That's sharp with an E at the end, sharpmortgageteam.com. This is the Triad Podcast Network. Team 109 on the diamond at Wake Forest put the entire country on notice, achieving historic success of epic proportions. The first 50-win season ever. Only the 13th ACC team since 2010 to reach 50 wins and 28th since 2000. A number one national ranking over the final month of the regular season and top overall seed entering the NCAA tournament. The Deeks became the first ACC team since North Carolina in 2017 to win all 10 ACC series and swept through both the Winston-Salem Regional and Super Regional round during the program's first trip to the College World Series since winning it all in 1955. And in the Regional and Super Regional round, Wake piled up a plus 59 run differential on their opponents. No team had ever posted a bigger run differential since the Supers were introduced in 1999. After resetting the bar nationally, both on the mound and at the plate, and several program and league records later, the Demon Deacons got within one win of reaching the College World Series Finals in Omaha. It was a thrilling extra innings loss against LSU on a Thursday night late June in perhaps one of the greatest college baseball games ever played that the Demon Deacons' wildly successful season came to an end. And while the defeat prevented Wake from accomplishing its ultimate goal, the 2023 ride still provided players, coaches, administrators, faculty members, alumni, parents, and fans the opportunity of a lifetime. And it's just one more massive data point for the architect of this team for the past 14 seasons, Tom Walter. As my guest today, Tom reflects on the achievements of 2023, the journey to this point, and what it means for Demon Deacon baseball moving forward. Plus, he shares details on an incredible story very early on at Wake that has forever changed his own life and a former player's for the better. I'm Kyle Schasberger, and this is Tom Walter, Wake Forest head baseball coach, likely still working on the transfer portal as we speak on Triad Sports one-on-one. Tom, you guided the Deeks on a return voyage to Omaha, just the program's third ever trip to the College World Series, first since winning the national championship in 1955. How does the head coach of a 54-12 and ball club spend the last several weeks after experiencing the highs of such an incredible season? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Kyle, and uh, thanks for all you do for our community here. But, um, you know, for, for us, it was the minute the plane landed from Omaha, it was get to work, you know, because the portal was wide open. You know, we, we knew we were going to lose a bunch of guys in the draft. Obviously, we had 10 guys get drafted, so we knew we had some roster pieces. We had a couple seniors that we were going to lose as well. So we had a good bit of production that we needed to, to replace not only on the mound, but, but at the plate too. So, you know, we needed to get into the portal and add a couple key pieces. Do you feel like, and again, what you've indicated here is the work never stops, which is kind of, you know, the newfound 
uh, situation here with the transfer portal and, and all of these moving pieces. It, it's a 365-day type process. But, but still, I am curious. Do you feel you've taken the necessary time to reflect on the accomplishments of this 2023 Demon Deacons team? And, and how might that period of reflection last as you're ready for what's to come, as you've kind of already spoke to? Like, was there a vacation at all? No, not yet. I think August, I think we'll all get some time in August before, uh, you know, we've got our freshmen in summer school right now. So they're, they're getting good work in every day. Like I said, we're still, you know, kind of hot on the recruiting trail, not only in the transfer portal, but obviously, you know, high school players as well. And this is their kind of prime time right now. So come August, I think all the coaches will get out and, and enjoy um, and reflect, as you say, but get some time with family and, and friends and have a chance to maybe decompress a little. Let's talk a little bit more of, about this past season and what exactly it was that this team accomplished. Program records in, in regular season wins, ACC wins, ACC series wins, postseason wins, overall wins, nation's number one ranking over the final month of the regular season, top overall seed entering the NCAA tournament, Rhett Louder, ACC Pitcher of the Year, consecutive seasons, one of those 10 draft picks uh, that you've already talked about. Brock Wilkin, the other going in the first round. Uh, statistical best set for a Wake Forest season in 23. Home runs, runs, RBIs, walks, strikeouts per nine, fielding percentage, and shutouts. How is it, Tom, in, in your estimation, looking back, that this team, this 2023 Demon Deacon squad, became so dominant? Well, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's talent. You know, there's this is a this was a talented group as was as was reflected in the draft. You know, when you got the returning ACC pitcher of the year back, you got Josh Hartle coming off of a good a good solid freshman year. You know, you, and you add a couple pieces like Sean Sullivan, Seth Keener's development was a big part of this. Michael Massey adding him. You know, Cole Rowland. You know, was a big addition. You know, I, I look at our top seven arms, and and three of them were we got in the transfer portal between Sullivan, Massey, and Roland, and then four of them were homegrown here, the guys that just developed and had experience and and kind of, you know, cut their teeth as freshmen. So, you know, it was a, a very talented top seven pitchers. And then when I look at our lineup, it's kind of more of the same. You know, we added a couple key transfer pieces, and you know, Bennett Lee primarily, you know, behind the plate, but. You know, you look at Adam Ciceri and Pierce Bennett, you know, they're they both starting for the fourth year in a row. You know, you had Nick Kurtz is a, is a second-year starter, Brock Wilkin, a third-year starter. You know, Justin Johnson was a big portal addition uh, in addition to Lee as well. So, you know, some really talented guys on the on the uh, offensive side of the ball as well and just a really good balanced team. But but I think more importantly than the, than the talent of this club was just – how much they cared about one another. You know, our team culture is something we, we've been very intentional about kind of building and, and fostering over the last two years. Um, you know, coming on the heels of COVID, I felt like our team culture wasn't what it needed to be. And I think there were a lot of reasons for that. COVID was part of it and we had some injuries and some other things. But, you know, again, it wasn't, you know, we looked out there in the field, you know, in 2021 and it's like, this is not what it's supposed to look like. And, so we got to work in the spring of 2021 of trying to set the tone uh, about what team culture we wanted in the, in the years moving forward. And it seemed like that, that culture was infused primarily from your younger players a couple of years ago. If I recall reading a story 
um, adequately. I think it was Brock Wilkin, who was one of those young leaders who had stepped up after what was his freshman year and, and put the rest of the team on notice that challenged the other guys. Louder was another one of them. And it kind of, it, it forced, it was kind of a players led or driven type movement. And of course the coaches and you yourself are there to facilitate it, but it seemed like after the pains of the COVID season and, and trying to rebound over the last couple of years, which you've done so admirably, you know, this all came from within. It started with the players in challenging each other and they answered the bell. Well, for sure. That's really well said. I mean, it's all about ownership and accountability. And, you know, we two years ago in the fall, in the fall of 2022, uh, well, I guess it was fall of 2021, sorry. You know, we went away on a, on a team retreat. You know, the first thing we did that fall was we took our team, Ken Miller, one of our baseball alums has a has a um, kind of a bunch of cabins and a covered basketball court and, and kind of some open fields and a fire pit and a kitchen and, a, and an arcade room, you know, out in, in Summerfield. So we took our team there and we used those two days for really just kind of being super intentional around team building events. So first and foremost, we read a book. We read a book called It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moad. So we had a team book that we read. So we talked about that book while we were there, but we also talked a lot about, okay, what, what do we want this season to look like? What do we want our relationship with each other to look like? What's good communication look like? What's bad communication look like? What's good team chemistry look like? And on down the list. So again, those two days, I think, really set the tone. We had, we had as you said earlier, we had met with that freshman group that previous spring to say, hey, this isn't what it's supposed to look like. Stick together you know, pull closer. When things get tough, you got to pull closer. You can't get, we can't pull apart here or get fractured. We've got to get tighter in our circle. Um, and the freshmen did that and they really rallied around that. <clears throat> and then they communicated with one another over the summer and, and our leadership group, Adam Ciceri and Pierce Bennett and Eric Adler, those guys, you know, kind of helped foster that as well. And then that fall, we start with that retreat and all of a sudden, that kind of put everybody on notice that, hey, and we had new coaches. We added two new coaches as well. Todd Blankmeyer and Corey Mascara uh, were new to the staff. Mike McFerrin, our pitching lab coordinator, was also new to the staff. So really, three of our kind of main six guys were new um, as far as our staff was concerned. So, um, you know, we just went into that first weekend saying we're going to really set the tone for what we want this to look like. Do you have a, and I've wrote that down, by the way, it takes what it takes. I'm big on the self-help, attitude books, leadership, discipline, all of that. So I will make my way towards that one. I love it. Appreciate uh, the tip there. Is there one lasting memory of 2023 that maybe will stand out beyond any other? What What do you think would be your fondest memory of the season that we've just completed in 2023? Um, I mean, you know, again, dog piling on our field to go to Omaha. I mean, that's that stands out the most, you know, because it's it's such a special moment for these guys. Their their lifelong dream is to is to go to Omaha. And same thing with our coaches. You know, we've been thinking about Omaha for the last coaching staff's been thinking about Omaha for the last 40 years. And uh, we've kind of been burning the boats um, to try to get there. And so to, to be able to do that at home in front of an unbelievable crowd, like our fans, you know, really showed up for this team down the stretch. I mean, starting, you know, starting really with the Miami series in March, you know, we had like 18, 1900 people there for those games. And it just kind of built from there. And, you know, we had a, a midweek game against Coastal Carolina in late April. We had like 2600 people. And then the regional, we were sold out, you know, each game in the regional were sold out against Alabama, the super regional. So, 
you know, other than dogpiling on our field, I, I think that the other the other kind of really cool moment was that Maryland game. We're playing, you know, in the 1-0 game. You know, we all know that if you win the 1-0 game in a regional, you're like 78% chance to advance to the Super. So, you know, it's a huge game in the in the in the form in that format. And uh, and we had that rain delay. You know, we were supposed to play at four o'clock and you know, we ended up not taking the field till 1030 at night. And, you know, and Rhett comes out there in the first inning and well, we score, we, we were the visiting team and we score immediately. And then, uh, and then Rhett comes out and gets us a zero and, uh, and was just electric. So, you know, that, the fact that our crowd showed back up, coach Forbes sent out a, a tweet that went viral, um, kind of asking the, the, the Deacon fans to come back for that. And, our fans showed up, man. It was 10, 10, 45 PM first pitch and our crowd was electric. It was loud and it was vibrant and they were into every pitch. And I was just really proud of that moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Forbes is an absolute maniac and that was a, a perfect representation of his character. And it was uh, a nice touch. Certainly that late at night, uh, him in the locker room in the clubhouse and, uh, that was a real joy. That that was fun. I remember that one vividly. Uh, I do want to come back to the fans, but let's drill down on the process as we talk about where you started at Wake and how you began building this program. And I'll just lay it out for our listeners first. You came to Winston in 2010, had coaching stops at, at George Washington, New Orleans, uh, reputation as this program builder, player developer. Uh, to further accentuate the framework, too, of our conversation, it Absolutely has been a steady rise for the Wake Forest program since your arrival as you came in and delivered on what you were hired to do. But NCAA tournament appearances in 1617, which included the Gainesville Super Regional, 22, um, also an NCAA tournament berth before the historic 23 year. Your second all time in wins, 420 at Wake Forest, third skipper in program history to earn ACC Coach of the Year. Oh, by the way, you've tutored 40 plus players who were either drafted or had signed pro contracts over the past eight years all that to say tom in those first six seasons though wake forest only cracked 30 wins twice looking back on that process of, of building the program into what it's become and the su success you've had were there moments prior to 2016 where you maybe doubted the potential of what this program could be could become or was there any additional pressure that you might have placed on yourself or or others had during that period so so it took a little longer. We, we, I knew we'd get there. Number one, I knew, I knew we had all the pieces to be great here. You know, we've got the support of the administration from Dr. Wente down through John Curry and, and before John Curry, Ron Wellman. So we've, we've always had unbelievable support for baseball here at Wake Forest. And, and, you know, my last two stops at George Washington and University of New Orleans, we were able to turn things around very quickly. Well, it's hard to do that in the ACC and it's especially harder to do that in the ACC when you have the highest cost of attendance and toughest academic restrictions and you just don't have as much free money as some of those as, as really all those state schools. So point is, is it, it probably took a little longer than I expected it to, but I knew it would come. Um, and it was just a matter of, you know, we had, and we had to take it step by step. Like first things first, we had to change the, the perception of what a Wake Forest baseball player is. I think when we first got here, Wake Forest baseball player was somebody who really wanted to go to Wake Forest who also happened to play baseball. So we're getting kids who are really great students and they care about academics. And oh, by the way, they play baseball too. And that's not enough in our league, in the ACC to win. You need guys that want to play in the big leagues. You need major leaguers. You need guys that are going to play at the highest level 
you know, for more than a cup of coffee. You need kind of established big leaguers if you're going to win. And and then you saw that on this this past team this year. You're talking about Rhett Louder and Brock Wilkin and Josh Hartle and and uh, you know Kamenasi and Sean Sullivan and Seth Keener and on down the list. I mean, we've got a you know, you know there might be there might be eight or nine guys on this team that plays Major League Baseball. So um, you got to have major leaguers to win. And th- and then after that, after we changed that kind of that mentality and that mindset, the, the next thing we had to do was we had to change our facility. Like we had to give the the couch a total facelift um, because, you know, we just couldn't recruit the high level guy without the facility. You know, they need the bells and whistles. The other schools recruiting them are really established and they have great facilities. So we've got to be able to compete with them on that, on that arena as well. And then, I think the third piece is obviously the pitching lab kind of put us over the top. And, you know, for me, the pitching lab was always about how do we get a competitive advantage? Like, what do we have to do to, to, to just have an edge over our opponents? Cause again, we're never going to be able to stand there. And I think you probably hear the same thing from coach Clawson. Like, I, I don't know that coach Clawson thinks they'll ever stand there toe to toe and slug it out with Clemson and win that, you know, they'll win occasionally, but they don't win. They won't win that consistently. And that's how we felt about our program. We're not, you know, when we got Miami and North Carolina and Virginia and Georgia tech, you know, those kind of traditional powers in baseball, you know, we felt like we, we wouldn't be able to stand there toe to toe and go after the same kids and win those battles. So we had to be a little more creative in a, how we developed kids, but B, uh, or sorry, A, how we attracted kids, but B, also how we developed them. All right, you've created the springboard now for the pitching lab question, which I was going to get to later. But but let's drill down on that j- just a tad more, because the fascination on this nationally, you know, came to a head with obviously your presence in Omaha and uh, what it presents, represents, not just here locally in Winston, but but nationally in the standard that that pitching lab has been set. And like you said, that is such a unique element of your program and has helped to set you apart from others and attracting this talent and then being able to develop it. Um, how do you begin to explain, though, the benefits of what that lab is? In layman's terms, as basic as you can, how cutting edge is this thing, Tom? Because national television certainly took it to a new level in terms of shining a spotlight uh, on the lab itself. But, man, this thing is the real deal from everything I've heard about. Well, it is the real deal. And, and, and again, when we, when we talk about the pitching lab, we, we talk about the three components of pitching. So component number one is biomechanics, how you move. And we do that better than anybody because we have the cameras. We have Kristen Nicholson, our team doctor. We have Mike McFerrin, our pitching lab coordinator. Kristen's got three or four grad school students. So we have this kind of army of people that are figuring out how our, how our guys can move more efficiently. And we've, we've hired an outside consultant too, Brandon Golden from 5TC to come in and, and do some work with our guys to help them move better. So, you know, how you move is, is first and foremost. And I think what we learned is, you know, we were probably yelling at kids for doing things that they weren't capable of doing before we understood this, you know, kid might be his, you know, we'd be like, Hey, how come you can't you get your arm up? You know what I mean? Your elbow's too low. And and the kid would be like, I'm trying, and he, but he wasn't capable of doing it because maybe he couldn't load his right hip or something. You know, or it was ankle stability or internal external rotation of the shoulder, whatever. Um, so how you move is number one. Number two is what's the ball doing? So, you know, analytically, is it a low, is it a low release height? Is it a high release height? Is it what's the release side? What's the extension? What's the spin rate? You know, and, and looking at all that pitchers, all those pitchers pitches and then coming up with a pitch plan based on what the ball is doing. And again, pitchers, you know, 
they they are who they are right now. Like in this moment, this is who you are. That doesn't mean you can't change that over a month or two, but who you are right now is, is kind of what we got. Um, and then three, we call the art of pitching, Kyle. It's like, you know, holding runners and fielding your position and being able to cross count your breaking ball and do kind of all those little things um, that, that really the elite pitchers don't miss on. So you know, we've done a good job kind of emphasizing all three of those fields and, and really collaborating to pull them all together. We've got an analytics team of 22 people, and we've got Mike McFerrin that's leading that team, and we've got Tom Walter and, and Corey Mascara and Jeff Strom and Mark Seaver and Dr. Waterman. I mean, we have this, this army of people who collaborate on a daily basis on what's best for our guys and, and, how, to, and how to maximize their ability. It's time to get serious about your financial future. It's never too early, but it could be too late to get started. And that's oftentimes the hardest part, getting started. How much do I save? Where do I invest? Do I save for college or retirement? How much for each? And who do I talk to about it all? Okay, we'll keep things simple for now and help you answer the last one. We recommend you begin with a local financial advisor. And that's Jennifer Johnson of Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. She'll sit down with you for a complimentary introductory consultation and go over all of your questions. Get started on the path to achieving your financial goals. Visit 3magnoliasfinancialadvisors.com or call 336-701-1600. Get comfortable with your financial future. Three Magnolias Financial Advisors, retirement, financial planning, and investments. Securities offered through Satara Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. Three Magnolias Financial Advisors and Satara Advisor Networks are not affiliated. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity. It's incredible just, just how individualized everything is and uh, the benefits that we've seen. Uh, it truly is a, a phenomenon, the Wake Forest Pitching Lab, and, and I know Y'all will just continue to develop that uh, as time moves on. I do want to circle back to the beginning of your of your weight career because there is one element of your story that garnered significant national attention uh, very early, and it centered around one of your former players in Kevin Jordan, a one-time prize recruit who was diagnosed with a, a serious kidney disease uh, in 2010 and needed a transplant. It was you who provided the match necessary to donate a kidney to Jordan and just days before the 2011 season opener, February 7th, to be exact. The operation was successful, and more than 12 years later, Tom, what do you remember about the interactions you had with Kevin, his family during that time, and and was there ever any hesitation on your part in in seeing if you were a match and then ultimately following through with the transplant? So my first impression of Kevin was that he was a kind and thoughtful and very mature young man. Like when I first met him, you know, sometimes you see those 17, 18 year old kids and they're, they're such great athletes that they haven't really had to develop the other part of their, of their persona. You know, they haven't needed to, to be kind or thoughtful or intelligent, but Kevin was all those things. And that, that struck me right away as somebody that, you know, that I could rely on and somebody that, that I could have confidence was going to do the right things day in, day out. Um, you know, and then, and through that process, I mean, I, you know, to answer short answer is no, I never once doubted it. Now 
I'd be lying if, if I said that when I volunteered, I knew what that meant. Like when, when the doctor was telling Kevin everything that he had been through and what he was about to go through, I was like, well, I'll get tested. And I didn't really know what that meant. But as I learned more, it just reinforced my, you know, my belief that, that it was meant to be me. Like one of the things that happened along this way was, you know, even, even from the first moment I was sitting in that doctor's office, you know, when the doctor said what, you know, the first box was blood type. And I said, well, that's my blood type. My blood type and Kevin Blood's bloods are the same. So, so I can do this. And, you know, really from that moment forward, I, I just kind of had this feeling that it was going to be me. And today, the two of you have found a way to strengthen what was already an insurmountable bond by teaming up to, to form an organization called Get in the Game, aimed to educate and empower young people to take action. Uh, formed in 2020 during a period of significant social unrest. Um, what is it that you and Kevin were hoping that this platform could do? And, and how do you measure the organi organization's success uh, today since it coming to fruition in 2020? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, so what this organization does is we train facilitators who are teachers, you know, or coaches um, to provide safe spaces for their students to have thoughtful, intelligent conversations about race. I think for too long, like one of the things that was crazy in this original kidney story with Kevin and I is nobody talked about race. Like they showed my picture and his picture next to each other, but nobody just outwardly said this story is about race. And I can tell you it was at the time, it was very much about race because I would have you know, black gentlemen at football games coming up to me with tears in my eyes, thanking me for what I did. And I know Kevin one time told me that his hundred year old grandfather was just stunned. Couldn't believe that a, that a white coach would give his black son, black grandson a kidney. And, you know, so, you know, when you hear things like that, but then nobody talks about it in the media and that's part of the problem. Like, I feel like we've made strides in the LGBTQ community and, and not nearly as much as many strides as we need to make. But we've certainly in my mind, we've made more strides, you know, in that regard than we have in this race conversation. You know, we're we're still kind of fighting the same things we were fighting when Martin Luther King was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. So it all started with a conversation Kevin and I had shortly after Memorial Day. I was calling all of our former players of color to check in on them and say, you know, how you doing? Like, how's your family? Are you, are you guys okay? You know, is there anything I can do? Do you need to vent? Like, do you, you know, how you feeling? You know, kind of thing. And Kevin, I called Kevin and we were talking for a while and I was asking him what he wanted to do. And, and a story came up where I had gone to a friend of mine to tell him that I was going to donate. And my friend was like, well, can you do that? And I was confused by the question. I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, isn't Kevin black? And <clears throat> I was stunned by that question. It took me aback, but as I thought about it for a second, I realized it wasn't a malicious or a racist question. It was just a not understanding science question. So I remember my response to him very clearly, which was, well, yeah, my blood and his blood are the same and that's all that matters. So here we are in the wake of George Floyd's tragic murder and social unrest, as you said, around the country. And we're in the middle of COVID and I'm sitting in my house and I say this to Kevin, your blood and my blood is the same. It's all that matters. And then I, like a light bulb goes off. I'm like, man, that's the message the world needs to hear. They need to see an old white guy standing next to a young black guy saying arm in arm saying our blood's the same. That's all that matters. And 
So that that that's how Get in the Game was born. You know, again, and we didn't we didn't want to be you know one of these organizations that goes in and does a motivational speech where we just go in and give a forty five minute speech and then you know forty eight hours later everybody kind of reverts back to the person they were before the speech. You know, we wanted to deliver curriculum and exercises that these kids could do to have these conversations. And, you know, what we've learned through this, Kyle, is these kids want to talk about it. This is very much on their mind and they and they they need to talk about it. They want to talk about it and they need safe spaces to do so. And they need some help, you know. And the other thing we found, which this may or may not surprise you, but the teachers were thankful for this program, too, because they wanted to help their students have these conversations and they didn't know how to do that. They didn't have the bandwidth. You know, it's like asking a baseball coach to deal with the mental health of his student athletes. I'm not qualified to do that. I I do what I can. And it's very important to our program. I think it's one of the most important things we do is look after the mental health of our athletes, but I'm not a professional who can help these guys work through those problems. They need to go to a sports psychologist for that sports counselor. And same thing in this race conversation, man, these teachers, they can't be expected to facilitate these conversations and and create safe spaces where kids can be authentic and and be vulnerable um, unless you unless you give them some, you know, kind of a blueprint to do it. I want to take a quick break from this show to do two things. One, we'll say thank you for listening and supporting the Triad Podcast Network. Just listening to this episode is appreciated. Second, I want to ask that you support a local business that supports us as a presenting partner, a real estate company we trust, the Ginther Group, located in Winston-Salem. Right now, in the spring, the housing market is moving fast. You need someone you can rely on to assess your situation, read the data and trends, and steer you in the right direction. Interest rates, inventory, new construction, there are so many factors that impact our local market. Don't buy into the national internet headlines. Get the information from the folks right here in our neighborhood. Contact Blake Ginther and the Ginther Group today. Whether you're buying or selling, have cash or not, or if your home isn't in the ideal condition for selling, chances are they have a solution for you. Call 336-283-8689 or visit theginthergroup.com. Buying, selling, investing, or just learning, whatever you need, start now and like me, you can become a Ginther Group client for life. Awesome. It's super powerful. So impactful. Uh, the message that you and Kevin are sending. If people want more information, they can go to getinthegame.org, uh, see how they can help as well. Uh, Kevin Jordan and, of course, Tom Walter. And, and just it, an incredible story. It's been documented a number of times. Uh, you know, Ryan McGee had something with ESPN. Jeremy Schaap, even this past June, you know, early in the in the run to Omaha kind of uh, encapsulating all of that. So, uh, we are running low on time. I got a couple of more questions, uh, Tom, I, I want to ask you, <laughs> this is kind of funny because there, there was a lot, I want to ask about the couch and 29 wins, three losses, the home field environment, you've touched on it already, but the Wake Forest fans, uh, who you brought up early in our conversation, what, to what lengths can they go? Can they be built different? Like fans from, you get exposed to LSU, in Omaha, for example, and the Wake Forest fans, and I interact with them every day, you know them better than I do, but it's like, wow, you know, like that can be, it can be annoying from one standpoint, but it can also be like a teaching point or a lesson like, wow, like we need, we need to pony up in such a way, like we've got lengths maybe we need to go to in terms of supporting a program. It depends who you talk to, but Tom, 
when I told some Wake Forest fans we were going to be talking today, they sent me a list of questions. And these are all X's and O's, <laughs> philosophical, strategy-related ones. And I'm like, my God, like, it's July, you know? Like, what are we doing? I'm going to run. I don't expect you to answer any of these, but I, I expect you to probably grin and, and smile. And I want you to reflect on the joy in your fan base actually asking these questions on what is July 25th as, as you and I talk. What role will Michael Massey play? Will he stay in the bullpen or be a weekend starter? Where will uh, Seaver King play in the field? Wake picked up a transfer from Ball State named Adam uh, Tellier. Any chance some infielders will move to the outfield? Also, what other big fish might be left in the transfer portal following the acquisition of Chase Burns? Like all of these are, they've got to make you grin ear to ear. The fact that your fan base, mm-hmm. those hanging out on the message boards too, especially, and this is my long rant of just, you know, waxing on what Wake has become. It's got to make you so happy. Makes me so happy and so proud. Um, I love it. Our fans are engaged, man. We, the, Kyle, these these Deacon fans, they showed up in Omaha. Not only did they show up in the regional super, but they showed up in Omaha. LSU fans might have had us outnumbered, but they didn't, they weren't more vocal than our fans, and they weren't more passionate than our fans. They were they were there at the hotel to 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 send us off every day when we we're going to practice or games. They were there at the hotel when we came back from practice and games, win or lose. So uh, you know, again, so passionate. Um and I, and I love every minute. And these are great questions. Michael Massey's going to be a starter. Seaver King's going to play second base, likely, possibly third. Tell your, you can see him at third base, and you can certainly see him in the outfield. Um, you know, I, there's one big potential fish still out there. Um, I can't say who that is right now by, by NCA rule, but, uh, but I can say that he played in Omaha, and he played right field, and we played against him. Um, so there is, uh, there is one big fish out there, uh, that we're talking to again, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously tough sledding and tough competition, but we're, we're certainly in the game. I think we're, we're on his, his short list of three. I love that. Uh, I got to ask about your assistant. So Corey Muscara, um, what he's done for this program, plenty, I, I half expected Jay Johnson and LSU to back up the Brinks truck to be able to get Muscara to come down to Baton Rouge with his departing pitch, pitching coach and Wes Johnson going to Georgia. That didn't happen. He also turned down a Penn State head coaching opportunity to remain with you. Then you look at your hitting coach and, and Bill uh, Silento and what he has been able to do. Um, what value do these guys bring to the table in, in helping to grow this program? And obviously your excitement that they want to continue to be a part of this process. Well, I'm thrilled that we were able to retain our whole staff. Obviously, uh, Coach Salento, our associate head coach, he's been we've been together here 14 years, going on 15. And you know, again, you just get no finer person than Bill Salento. And and you look at the the proofs in the pudding. Our hitters are good every year. Our hitters get better under his watch. Our defenders get better under his watch. So he's a really great baseball coach, but he's an even better man. And and one thing I love about about Billy and Moose and Jeff Strom and Mark Seaver, all our guys, is they're just super consistent. Like, I just love the consistency. And, and that's the one thing when you retain your staff like that, you can maintain that same energy and consistency, uh, which I love. And then Moose, you know, can't say enough good things about him. How he has taken the pitching lab to the next level, you know, he and Mike McFerrin together. Um, taking it to the next level and, and and how they use our analytics team, how they combine analytics with the biomechanical data. 
how they track the art of pitching stuff, you know, so all those things, they're, they're at the front of their profession on that stuff. And it's, and it's really amazing, but you know, our volunteer coach who's now a full has now a paid assistant, full-time paid assistant, Matt Wessinger is back. Mickey Bassett, our ops person, Tony Joyce in equipment, Jeff Strom in the training room, Mark Seaver in the weight room, Krista Fisher, academic support, Kristen Nicholson, our biomechanist. She's got four grad school kids, grad school uh, students working with her. You know, so it's, again, not only do we retain uh, Coach Salento and Coach Mascara, but we retained everybody, which is huge. Certainly says a lot about the culture of Wake Forest baseball and where you're at and retaining um, absolutely everyone following the season that you had. All right, final thing, Tom. I, I work at Learfield with a lovely lady by the name of Michelle Finks. Uh, she's sort of the team mom here on, on uh, at 540 Trade Street. So uh, her husband, Mike, uh, heavy-handed with Dewey's. He's equally a- as pleasant. I'd be remiss not to end the pod without asking you about one fixture on your team this past season. He, he never registered any playing time, but that's because he's your bullpen catcher. So Michelle and Mike's youngest son, Lyle Finks, uh, as a former catcher myself, and Lyle and I are close, we're friends. I've interviewed him when he was at West Forsyth back in high school during my WSJS days. Um, as a former catcher myself, who's long marveled at his opportunity as, as a bully, um, what can you say about his commitment and even generally the role of a bullpen catcher? That's a lot. That's a demanding thing to not ever go out there, have an opportunity to register at bats or, you know, get significant playing time or any playing time behind the plate. And how might the the role of a bullpen catcher expectations have changed or are changing? Well, it's funny because I, I tell I tell bullpen catchers and our team all the time that the bullpen catcher is more important than probably a third of our roster, maybe more. You know, that guy uh, provides invaluable assistance. It saves the wear and tear on our catchers, but he also gives incredibly valuable feedback. And Lyle is the best bullpen catcher we've ever had because he wasn't, he knows, first of all, he knows baseball cold. And sometimes you get some bullpen catchers who only played in high school and didn't play at a high level of college and they don't, really get all the nuances that 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 somebody like Lyle does. So, you know, again, him being able to tell Rhett Louder, you know, hey, you know, you're, you know, you're dropping your elbow or you're opening up too soon or or whatever. And then and then Rhett Louder having enough respect for Lyle that he hears that message. Like that's an important part of that that relationship as well. So, you know, Lyle was a great addition to our staff. I've known Lyle since he was I don't know, in the seventh or eighth grade, my, my son and, and and he played together in travel baseball. So I got to know Michael and Michelle then, and you just don't get any better family than, than those folks. And, you know, I just couldn't be more grateful that, uh, that they let us have Lyle for a year. He's Tom Walter, head baseball coach at Wake Forest University, chief engineer of a 54 win season return to the college world series. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure to visit today on Triad Sports one-on-one. I greatly appreciate it. Appreciate you, Kyle. There's no question the increased success and results on the field will heighten support from donors and continuing to create unique opportunities from a facility standpoint, but two in NIL, the name, image, and likeness component that allows student-athletes to earn money. It's all part of a drastically different collegiate sports model from what we remember as little as five years ago. And not to mention the emotional investment from the fans, and Tom talked about that. With the transfer portal spinning the way it is, success can also help breed new arrivals who are looking to join a team that not only is built to win, but can help improve their pro prospects and draft position. Wake Forest offers both of those. 
Tom Walter hasn't stopped working and won't stop and continuing to create one of the best atmospheres to play in the ACC and nationally. The investment undoubtedly, again, will continue to pour in from all circles connected to Wake Forest as the program keeps pushing towards its first national title since 1955. And a trip to Omaha this past summer to take part in the greatest show on dirt is obviously only scratching the surface under Tom Walter. I'm Kyle Schasberger on Twitter and Instagram at Kyle Schass. Hope you enjoyed the profile of Tom Walter and Wake Forest Baseball on Triad Sports One-on-One. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode on the Triad Podcast Network. Our mission is simple. Provide information, advice, and stories about the people and places that make the North Carolina Triad such a great place to be. You can find us by searching Triad Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much wherever you like to listen. If you like what you heard and want to support the show and those that contribute, We would truly appreciate a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. It helps spread the word along, as do your shares on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Triad Podcast. To get in touch with us, simply email info at triadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Triad Podcast Network.